on today's show, we have Stan and Jack. Stan and Jack. Two names that are synonymous with each other, except it's not that Stan. It's not that Stan, but it's that Jack. It is Stanley. Is it Stanley? Because it could be Stanley. Nope. It's Stanley Kubrick. Okay. It's Stanley Kubrick and the king of comics, Jack Kirby. Their creative paths met at one incredible intersection with a, with a work that was about eight years apart, but we have never brought it to the fore until today. And, and I'm going to tell you some of the behind the scenes, what, what possessed Stanley Kubrick to even hunt down uh, and, and produce 2001. We're, we're going to go to some of those conspiratorial places with Stanley. We can't say Stanley Kubrick without visiting that, but we are going to embrace all that the king of comics did because he not only gave us an adaptation he took it a step further he created a comic series based on this which and and you're going to find out was the basis for two brand new series i believe the inspirations are right in front of you one is obvious one not so obvious but it created two brand new series for marvel comics stan and jack kubrick and the king on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome yet again to Rob's Observations, and I am your host, Rob Liefeld. Rob's Observation focuses primarily on the never-ending discussion of superheroes, superhero comic books, comic books in general, and the incredible influence they continue to have on pop culture. And my very first season, my very first episode, I started walking you through my own childhood, my own romance with comic books that I've had since I was um, a, a, a very young uh, seven years old, 1974. Yes, that seems like the dark ages, but it wasn't. It was super cool. Um, just ask Paul Thomas Anderson and, and Quentin Tarantino, who can't seem to to go back to the 70s. They can't seem to go back enough, uh, as reflected in their work in uh, everything from Licorice Pizza to to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Boogie Nights. When I see those films, I see my childhood. I I, I see the the surroundings and the 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 environments that I grew up in and now just uh, just have one of those characters walk into a liquor store, a 7-Eleven and, and start pulling comic books off the spinner rack and boom, we are in my childhood. We are in my youth. Comics were in a formative place during that time. I absolutely love talking about where comics have been, uh, where, where, where they're going and, and speculating on, on the future of comic books. I have made my living doing comic books for the last 37 years, approaching 38 years. I could not be uh, more thrilled, more excited, more humbled. Right now, as you listen to this, I have a comic book uh, that's in stores called Deadpool Batter Blood. Uh, it is the sequel to my uh, original graphic novel, Deadpool Bad Blood, that we, that you, you, the, the, uh, you know, consumers of comic books and graphic novels, you guys put Deadpool Bad Blood at number one. And as I'm recording this this morning, I have gotten news that the Deadpool Batter Blood is headed back to press so that we can, um, that the first issue sold out. It was out within just 24 hours time gone and, 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 and now they're going back to press. So thank you for your continued support. 37 years. Again, another sellout. Um, you guys keep showing up and supporting me in ways that I could never have possibly imagined. Uh, so, so old man life out is is uh, always very excited to draw the comics and now very excited to bring to you this podcast. Today's subject is one that I cannot believe I have put off till now. I, have, I cannot believe uh, that, that I have pushed off uh, 
you know, in, into this deep into what, what is our third, our, 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 what is it? Our, our, our fifth season. It's our fifth season. Oh my gosh. When I, when I take a break and I should just tell you right now, we are about to go on an extended break. Um, I'm going to be, uh, traveling, vacationing and, and the, the blue Yeti mic will not be accompanying me. Uh, so, so I'm just going to give you a, give you, uh, some heads up now that there will be a pause, uh, this summer in the middle of the summer, uh, as, as observations will go dark, but there's all those cool, um, so many episodes that you probably skipped or didn't listen to yet that you can, you can, um, um, acclimate to acclimate yourself to during that time. Yeah. I'm so thrilled that you guys listen and that you guys have absorbed so much of the passion that I, that I share with you about comic books. Cause as I've said many times, I didn't get into comic books to be anything else other than a comic book storyteller and creator. It's always fun when somebody knocks on your door and wants to make one of your properties into the movies and man, they do the best selling job of telling you exactly how it's going to appear on screen. And then you find yourself in the runaround. But I always tell my wife, you know, it, it, Stan Lee was in his seventies when he walked that carpet for, for X-Men and, and for, for the, the, the Sony, uh, uh, you know, Sam Raimi Spider-Man's. So, you know, I, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, but I, I, maybe I'm going to walk, you know, in, in a walker d- down the carpet to see some of my, um, my, my pure creations beyond the, 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 the stuff that I've done with Marvel, uh, c- come, come to screen and, and have that big breakthrough just like Marvel did in the two thousands. But until then, uh, I do comics and now I talk about comics and this subject today uh, that we are going to approach is massive. I love just the title of it. If you've clicked on this, you've, li- you've listened to the title. The title was a giant tease, the title called Stan and Jack, but not that, not that Stan. Okay. Stan and Jack. No, not that Stan. Uh, I could have even said Stanley and Jack and, and, and continued the fake out because yes, I am a, I am a, a you know, a childish prankster at heart, but this is about two of the biggest titans, creative titans, uh, in any industries. We are talking about Stanley Kubrick and Jack Kirby. So the king of comics and one of the most celebrated, critically acclaimed, mysterious, uh, and successful filmmakers of his age, two incredible tastemakers, influencers in, in, in the purest sense of the world. Uh, in the purest sense of the word, in, in, in regards to that their lines and, 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 and what they filmed and the storytelling and, and the way that they present characters and worlds to us inspired so many that came after. You don't get to Star Wars without 2001 A Space Odyssey. The visual language that Stanley Kubrick uh, introduced in that went on to create the visual language, went on to imitate, uh, went, went on to not not imitated it created imitators in 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 the world of Star Wars the the really the advances in miniatures and special effects and the model work and and just all of the very meticulous ways that Stanley Kubrick worked to bring his vision of 2001 a space odyssey to life is really the visual language uh the menu that that then George Lucas in his Lucasfilm picks up and he's, he's talked openly about it. 2001 is a huge influence in terms of, uh, the, the, the design, uh, the application of the special effects. Again, the, the, the miniatures, cause again, you know, they call those now we, we call those practical effects. Anything that's not a computer is a practical effect. The practical effects were the models, the little, you know, the X-wing 
the TIE Fighters, if you're on Battlestar Galactica, the Vipers, um, the uh, the Cylon Raiders, all, all the different base ships, the Death Star. These are incredible practical effect, effects that, that, they, that they created, very specific cameras. And, and uh, Lucasfilm, you know, followed up on what Stanley Kubrick did with 2001, his groundbreaking work. And, and again, they, they created cameras and dollies that would move the camera, that would give you some of these shots uh, and, and specifically lit these models. And what we were seeing was this incredible model work and, and, uh, from, from model shops. And it's, it's, it's the kind of you know, stuff where then that your, your, your creature houses, your Stan Winston's grew out of. So 2001, a space odyssey was a giant, uh, huge, tremendous influence. And it, it impacted an entire visual language of cinema. The, the crazy part about what we are going to discuss today is, is not just that Jack Kirby would enter the picture to give this a, a, a film adaptation, but it is it is literally eight years later. This is, you know, you don't, you don't normally do a film adaptation, but it speaks to uh, the absolute brilliance of the work, the absolute brilliance of, of, of Jack Kirby's, uh, you know, inspiration from Stanley Kubrick's work that, 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 that it would sit with Jack Kirby and, and from, from 1968 to 1976, he'd be like, hey man, I'll do 2001 A Space Odyssey. And of course, the minute Jack Kirby gets involved, you have completely shifted gears. You have absolutely shifted gears. So we're going to really go into the depths of this. And and I'm going to tell you something that uh, my re-examination of this. So so, so to to lay the groundwork, why we're even doing this episode. Look, this Treasury Edition. So I'm going to tell you, about seven years ago, I went to a really well-known comic book uh talent writer creator uh in in the business went to visit his um new spread up up in up in uh los angeles it was actually a a new office that he had and he's much younger he was not alive when this came out there's no possible way uh, unless he was a time traveler he could have obtained copies of 2001 space odyssey so they were the the back issues but he had the treasury edition the original adaptation of 2001 a space odyssey very proudly as the sole piece of comic book representation in the den area of, of his studio and i was like oh check you out you got the kirby you got the you got the treasury edition and he's like oh yeah come on man i mean you, you, the, the, this is the classic I, I you know i gotta have out this out front and center but it speaks volumes that it would be this uh, again, a treasury edition, giant size. I've, I've spoken of these often on, on Rob's observations. Uh, the, the mid to late 70s were just the key for both DC and Marvel in producing these, in, in, in the production of these treasury editions, which were twice up, you know, I don't know, it's 12 by 15, much, much bigger uh, palette, much, much bigger uh you know, representation of the comic book story of the comic book work. I preferred it. I have every single one of these. Um, when, when I went to grab my 2001 Space Odyssey, my copies of it, because I have a couple copies of this this Treasury Edition, I went out to to the garage where the the Treasury Edition shelf is, and they're all there. The DCs, the Marvels. I, I proudly have each and every one, and I pulled these out uh, to to have these for today's discussion. But what prompted me? Um, and, and again, you know, I'm just telling you. This is, this is such an incredible piece of work that other artists who could not have been alive at the time are showing it mad respect as their, 
as their centerpiece of their den when you walk in. And I remember going, this is cool. This is cool that you have this man. Wow. It was. And, and, and immediately, my already incredible respect for this gentleman just soared even higher that he is displaying uh, on his coffee table in the den, this Kirby 2001 a Space Odyssey. And so we got talking to it and flipped through it and just, you know, it, it, it then occupied a good 30, 40 minutes of our, of our discussion of, of my visit up there. Um, but last week I, I have, I have, so I have a bunch of bronze age boxes that are rando, just rando bronze age boxes that I have stored away. Um, my, my, my dedicated runs, the stuff that I put in mylar bags. And certainly during the pandemic, I decided to recommit myself to, to, you know, um, putting these in the, in the, in the best, the very best possible edition, uh, uh, condition was I got all these new mylars and double, double boarded them. And, it, and I did that with my entire fantastic four run, my entire Avengers run my entire daredevil run my entire x-men run uh, and for the and for dc this will surprise you i've only done it with my legion of superheroes run and there's a lot of legion of superheroes but those are my like my special most vaunted uh you know most most um sacred you know bodies of work the stuff that i've enjoyed the most from my childhood and of course in all of that you're going to get jack kirby there's jack kirby work well, not the legion but but the the all the marvel stuff you know, that I went out of the way uh, uh, to, to share with you, the X-Men, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four stuff. Um, you know, so, so, so I've got all this, not, not, not Daredevil, but, but you know what I'm talking about. Got all this really cool stuff, but then I have my rando, like, because I go through them so often, I'm revisiting the comic books from 74 to like 82. That's like my sweet spot uh, as, as, as a guy who, who fell in love with comics during that age. And some of my favorites came out, but there are just random issues and, and you'll, and you'll find some of the, uh, you know, the adaptations that Marvel was doing was the classics, classic illustrated in there. And you'll find some, you know, man from Atlantis. Yes. I just name dropped a canceled CBS television show from the late seventies starring Patrick Duffy, who would go on to be Bobby Ewing in Dallas, um, man from Atlantis comics, uh, DC comics presents or some of the DC stuff in there. So some of the pre George Perez, Marvel Wolfman Titans. Uh, that when they when they tried to revive it again uh, with Mal Duncan, uh, he 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 was the guardian. They, they had Bumblebee. It, it, it issues like fifty fifty one fifty two were in there. One of my early some of my earlier um, exposures to Hawk and Dove. So again, it's all just random stuff. But boom, right in there was my two thousand one Space Odyssey. The ten issues that Jack Kirby did in addition to this Treasury edition. So he does this Treasury edition, and then Marvel does two thousand one a Space Odyssey on a monthly basis and Jack is at the helm. And I said, Oh man, you know, I, I haven't looked at these in a couple of years. Cause I literally, they, they were, they were filed down next to my desk in a short box that I keep nearby when I, when I have stuff that I'm frequently kind of exploring. And so I pulled those back up. I plopped down on the couch, came in from the garage and went for a revisit of this. And I'm like, how have I not discussed this incredible work? Not just this treasury edition, but, but so much of what Jack did beyond. Because he takes us and he goes way beyond. So no, we've set the table. It's Stanley Kubrick, Stan, and and Jack Kirby. That this is the Stan and Jack that we are going to uh, examine over the course of this episode. Uh, I, I'm not sure yet if it's going to be two parts or or or, or one entire. Uh, I, I can fit this all into one episode. I'm hoping to fit this all into one episode. So hang with me. If at the end I get back to you, uh, you know. And, 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 and tell you that this is to be continued. That's because I figured it out live during this episode. As I've told many, so many of you, um, I grabbed the material 
and 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 I and I turn on the mic and I start talking to you, and that's really the only time that I can do this. And I also with a with a family full of lead foot people. I mean, when my family, uh, as as I do this, I'm doing this so early because I come downstairs to record these podcasts. <laughs> And if my if my family gets up to go to the restroom, or go, I mean, they are le- they are they are lead feet. Um, it's like it's like they're wearing concrete boots. So yes, don't don't push them into the into the ocean. They would all sink with how heavy. I mean, it'll be like boulders falling on my head. Um, is is what you hear when they get up and and rise all all above me. So I am up super early doing this podcast to avoid all of the noise. And the interruptions that are going to come later through the day, but uh, but so anyway, forgive me if I haven't yet figured out how much I can contain into this one episode. I'm going to have to actually, I know in advance, especially when it comes to Stanley Kubrick, I'm going to have to do a heavy edit and just commit to maybe another uh, podcast to all of the controversies that Stanley Kubrick uh, is involved in. And trust me, 2001: A Space Odyssey is at the heart of it. So so um, you know, you don't get the Jack Kirby. 2001 a space odyssey in 1976 without the seminal 2001 space odyssey film from stanley kubrick so that's that is where we're going to start that's that is where we're going to begin so before we get into the the absolute proper kind of examination of kubrick's work we we and 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna also circle back and, and tell you that i believe what happened to jack when he did 2000 space odyssey what and and i have read this nowhere else i believe um, there was one obvious spinoff, but there was another direction that Jack went off. 2001 literally uh, was, was such an experience for Jack Kirby that it inspired not one, but two books that would come immediately after. He, he, the, the imagery, the concepts, the, 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 the characters that he would interface with in creating this 2001 A Space Odyssey would directly impact the next several years of his life. Kirby would take this this 2001 experience and then break it off and create again one very obvious and one uh much more subtle but but uh but getting back to 2001 a space odyssey and look i want so much just to unpack and unpack and unpack everything that has to do with 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 uh with stanley kubrick so let me slow down and uh and just because i'm free forming this uh let me slow down and just just tell you that uh you know if you haven't seen a Stanley Kubrick film, I, I, I please please rectify that. He is one of the most uh, influential, uh, celebrated, as I said earlier, decorated uh, directors in the, in the age of cinema, and and so much of what he did uh, as a filmmaker it, it impacts what you see today, right now. Whether it's Doctor Strange Glove, whether it's Spartacus, whether it's uh, you know the movie we're going to talk about today, two thousand one, A Space Odyssey. Um, whether it's one of my personal favorites, Eyes Wide Shut, his his last his last film, and one that kind of really opened uh, one that really opened opened the doors on uh, on my my sharing my, the passion that I have for Stanley Kubrick and passing it down to my 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 kids, uh, it, because it's it's uh, you know in 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 the fall semester when my when my son is going back to to school, my oldest son uh, to to start his junior year. We always would, would watch a movie together and hang out uh, and do kind of one last screening. And he wanted to watch Eyes Wide Shut. He had heard about it. He wanted to watch it. So we watched it. And it really, you know, that was his first formal. No, I had not seen 2001 A Space Odyssey with him. I hadn't seen The Shining with him. And it just blew him away. 
blew him away in, 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 uh, because of the deliberate niche uh, of the filmmaking, the, 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 the longer shots, the lingering of the camera, something he hadn't really examined before or, or experienced. So we were able to then connect and it, it, it set me on this giant uh, Kubrick revisiting my, my Criterion collection, laser discs, all the stuff that I have. And then having a, a dialogue that went back and forth with my son that then spilled back over into my wife, Joy, and we went on the Kubrick, the absolute Kubrick deep dive. Whether it's a Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, obviously The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, you need to experience uh, Stanley Kubrick's incredible filmography. He he is um, stunning, but but where the 2001 Space Odyssey, and I'm going to try and again condense this. So, so much of what I'm going to discuss with you. So 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 if you were to Google Stanley Kubrick fake the moon landing, and yes, I'm I'm barely containing my laughter and my my contagion here. Um, <laughs> If you were to Google it, you're going to get a lot of conspiracies. There are endless amounts of YouTube videos and speculation. And, and of course, um, the, the, there's, the, the, there's some direct, there's a couple of really good documentaries. There's one that's, that's far more well-known. Uh, and, 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 and this deals with, um, I, 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 how would I say, uh, the, the, it, it's very conspiratorial and it, deep, it, it dives deep into the mind uh and and the purpose of of uh of this this giant you know the behind the scenes of this giant conspiracy and and this came out in 2012 i i uh i bought it it it's um <clears throat> it's a, it's a it's a documentary uh that i highly i mean just for for absolute entertainment value for absolute entertainment value you you should you should enter just and, and and you know have 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 a really fun uh about 90 minutes if memory serves uh is is a documentary called uh room 237 room 237 examines basically the uh really walks you through what 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 connects uh, connects the dots as to the the how he is confessing. Stanley Kubrick is confessing to staging uh, the moon landing and and all the hidden messages that he baked into uh, the Shining, which 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 history has has turned into kind of a referendum in in that uh, because because cer- certainly Stephen King was not happy with the Shining, which is an adaptation of a giant you know, hugely successful Stephen King, um, story, novel, bestseller. And, and, and Stephen King notoriously hated it because he felt like it, 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 it veered so far off course of what he had done with his, with, with his novel. And, and so people basically, uh, have, 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 have now surmised that Kubrick used, uh, that Kubrick used the shining to confess that this guilt that he's been holding in regards to uh uh to to uh the fact that he in fact faked is part of the the biggest fake out in history with the, with the moon landing so that that is what this this documentary explores and and I'm going to tell you it it is highly entertaining and and uh and and worthy of checking out the 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 documentary again that explores this is uh is called room 30, 237 it it's it speaks to 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 the shining 
specifically. Uh, and it is an analysis of Kubrick's adaptation of The Shining and, and the people who believe that they have successfully decoded all of the hidden messages and symbols that are in The Shining. I, I um, Rodney Asher uh, directed it. It hit the uh, it hit the festival circuit in the summer of 2012, and I, I just remember very distinctly before we moved uh, uh, to to our new house because that's the 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 year we moved. I I, I sat and watched re- repeatedly um, whatever whatever pay per view apparatus or, or or cheat code I was granted. I just could not stop watching this because I love the conspiratory the conspiracy stuff. But here's the deal: you don't get to room 3237, and you don't get to The Shining. Un- unless unless the 2001 is, is is supposedly in the mix and and here's how it goes so 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 all, all that, that that is one of the, that is the better known that is the better known of, of the two uh that is the better known of the two documentaries the other one that i am going to recommend to you in, in regards to stanley kubrick and prepare to like it 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 will disturb you in a way that you're like wait this is fairly well reasoned and and I have to talk this out with somebody. It'll be what you go to your coffee shop, diner, bar. Um, it's what you're going to talk to your friends about. Okay, it's called Kubrick's Odyssey. Q- Google Kubrick's Odyssey. And so again, I, I I caught this about six seven years back, and uh, it really again goes even deeper than Room Two Thirty Seven. And and it it surmises. It starts with that. Uh, so the U.S. government sees Doctor Strange Glove, and they see. Uh, and, and and they'll they'll show you at the end of Doctor Strange Club an actor named Slim Slim Pickens Slim Pickens who who also was in a million Western shows uh, growing up he was the bartender he was the the poor farmer uh, ranch hand uh, he's also very famous for his role um, and, and very quite offensive in a humorously offensive in a, the uh, literally pee your pants funny uh, movie called Blazing Saddles a movie that to this day. Again, you want to talk. You want to talk about turning that movie on for your kids uh, on on Max on HBO Max. It's it's there in 2023. It will now give you a series of warnings of how offensive it is. But Blazing Saddles, Slim Pickens in the opening five six minutes probably says seven to ten incredibly offensive, but super funny, super funny things. So Slim Pickens is this really kind of uh, and yes, people, his name is S L I M P I C K E N. That S Pickens. That's how I knew him. He was a big, uh, uh, you know, looming large character actor that, that, uh, that, that again, in the 60s and 70s worked all the time. And he is in Dr. Strange Glove. And famously, at the end, he rides the bomb. You see a man riding the bomb. He's like, yeehaw, like a cowboy. Um, Stephen Platt of, of Prophet and Fighting American fame notoriously uh, lifted that imagery for his issues uh, in, in, I think, the first issue. Or the second issue of Fighting American that I published when 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 I had the license to Fighting American and we were tag teaming on the stories, Stephen lifted that imagery. And again, it, it it it's 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 been kind of removed from from the consciousness as, we, as we've moved into all these other you know films and times gone by, and now we're you know much more uh, akin to 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 summon imagery from a Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings film, uh, a Daniel Craig James Bond film, you know. Uh, uh, Harry Potter, Marvel superheroes; those are the images that we that that we now are are are, are uh, seeing over and over and over again. But but Slim Pickens riding the bomb uh, at the end of Doctor Strange Glove is is what I'm witnessing here. But the interior of that plane of that bomber, supposedly this is how the story goes. This is how the story is laid out in Kubrick's Odyssey. 
And this is the Genesis. He lays it out in most detail, but in all of these connective, um, all of these connective uh, conspiracies, the story goes that the government saw that Stanley had recreated a classified, you know, uh, aircraft that no one had ever seen unless you worked in the military. You could not have known the intricacies of this. And they called him up and said, how did you do that? And he said, I, Stanley Kubrick supposedly confessed to the government that he looked at all the different uh, depictions of this bomber, this aircraft, and he figured it out with his mind, with his personal genius of how it would look in the interior since they wouldn't let him get an, get an actual look inside of this classified, you know, top secret bomber. Again, this is back in the, you know, mid sixties. And so they were so impressed by what he did. They thought they'd found their man. Oh my gosh, we have this genius. He, he, he is somebody who could, who could pull this off. So the story goes that they then pr- approach Stanley and say, look, man, we've got a project for you and we want you to helmet. We think you're the guy. We think you have the, 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 the technical expertise to pull this off. And again, this is before, you know, Lucas and Spielberg and, and all these, these, these next level uh, directors who would be directly influenced by Stanley Kubrick are on the scene. So the government's like, we found our guy. This guy's a genius. And so the trade-off goes, we will supply you with next level cameras that no one has technology that no one else can make movies with, but we'll give it to you if you do this staging of the moon landing. And of course, the people who say that the moon landing is staged point to certain uh, ratios and, and very specific uh, technical uh, applications, especially there's, 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 a, there's one gleam that they believe like uh, is bouncing off of a screen that, that, that shows that this was on a sound stage and not an actual you know, landing of the moon. This is all sent up, by the way, in a, in a fantastic summer blockbuster film that stars no less than, than Josh Brolin's father, James Brolin, who is a big-time TV star, movie actor in the late 70s. It's called Capricorn One. If you have not seen Capricorn One, see it. It also stars The Juice, uh, the, 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 the J-U-I-C-E, Mr. O.J. Simpson himself. Uh, it is a fantastic conspiracy thriller, but it really takes on head-on the fact that we faked the moon landing and it deals with the astronauts who are put at risk by this. So they, they, they take this entire, did Stanley Kubrick fake the moon landing and was it filmed on a soundstage somewhere? Uh, they take that and make an entire feature film out of it. And if you've never, ever seen Capricorn one, do yourself a favor this weekend, watch Capricorn one. It's really well done. It's, it's, it's back in like, um, it's, it's in the flavor of like, uh, uh, the, the, the kind of the seventies, uh, kind of action thrillers why can't i think about three days of the condor okay that kind of stuff um and 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 you're you're gonna dig it's really really entertaining but but that again is is based in this so 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 the story goes that they basically promised stanley all of this state-of-the-art equipment and that that he could shoot his next films on and also it, it goes even deeper that because he did this he has a lifelong contract basically where they will finance any feature film of him for the rest of his life, which is why he can go and take two years, two plus years to make something like eyes wide shut with Tom Cruise, who takes the world's biggest movie star off of the stage for two years, sequesters him over in London to make uh, a movie that, and Tom, you know, was coming off a of mission impossible and Jerry Maguire. And then he and his wife at the time, Nicole Kidman, they disappear. And of course, Tom Cruise is thrilled because he gets to work with Stanley Kubrick, who's making it his first movie back 
since he made uh, Full Metal Jacket. And I mean, we're, ta- we're talking 12 years between filmmakers. So again, you know, Tom Cruise, biggest star in the world, decides I'm going to go and, and, and lean 100% into doing whatever this acclaimed filmmaker, Stanley Kubrick, who's too, Tom, who Tom absolutely loved, loved his work and was an honor and did not know, obviously, at the time that it would be his last film. But there was some idea that Stanley wasn't going to make a whole lot of, a whole, whole bunch more films after this. So it was kind of maybe the understanding of maybe it was his last film, but maybe not like the film that, that would like, like he would die before it was released and it got even grimmer and darker. And again, it adds to all this conspiratorial stuff. What does this have to do with 2001 Liefeld? So, so, so much of what you see in 2001, the space odyssey is supposedly a, a product of these super cameras and super tech that was state of the art, that was ahead of its time. And, and again, so budgets, part of it is that budgets became no object that government was going to underwrite everything Stanley Kubrick did to the end for the, for the rest of his life. Now, again, are you like Leifeld? Do you believe this? I'm going to tell you what I say with some of the, my favorite conspiracy theories. I want to believe it. I want to believe it because it's so much fun. But of, of course I, you know, I have to then logically kind of beat this out and go with all these conspiracy theories. What I always say is how many people have to be quiet for this to be true? How many hundreds or thousands in some cases of the wilder conspiracies have to be quiet and you know nobody can keep a secret and suddenly we're supposed to believe that like all of these families and all of these people you know are keeping think about the biggest con- uh, con- conspiracy theories that you've ever um thought of the bigger it gets uh the more really really impossible it is is to 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 to, to wrangle and seal that information over time but so going to this acclaimed filmmaker who, who, because of what he achieved on Dr. Strange Club, they think we found our guy, he'll fake the moon landing, and in return, we will give Stanley access and budgets uh, that, that only he will experience for the rest of his life. And so that technology and, um, and, 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 and even some of the imagery and the coding and, and the messaging uh, down to, 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 to the appearance of the monolith and, and some of the messaging that you get inside 2001, they say is reflective of, of Stanley starting to work through the guilt that he had, you know, making, making the fake moon landing. So I've given that way too much time, but I had to, I had to lean into it, but I'm, I'm giving you some, some, some very entertaining off ramps here with two, uh, room two, two, 237 and, uh, and with Kubrick's Odyssey, you will be so ridiculously compelled, uh, and, and, and trust me, it goes into some real wackadoodle stuff. Okay, be, uh, be prepared for what I, I say, the wackadoodle. But 2001, A Space Odyssey. So how 2001, A Space Odyssey uh, comes to fruition, how it comes to pass is that Stanley Kubrick uh, wants to adapt a work by an author named Arthur C. Clarke. He is a giant uh, sci-fi you know, he, he, tremendously influential uh, sci-fi writer, and was uh, known alongside uh, Isaac Asimov. He, he he they were they were um and and also an author named Robert Heinlein. I, I would say they were the or Heinlein. Uh, they were kind of the big three of sci-fi uh, coming up in the in the in the in the sixties. Uh, he was winning awards 1960, 1961, and Arthur C. Clarke wrote a story called The Sentinel. And that Sentinel is the basis of, of, uh, of 2001. And it's, it's uh, without The Sentinel, 
we do not get this incredible uh, work that we're we're spending all this time, you know, dissecting today. So let, let me let me let me tell you that what what happens is Stanley Kubrick writes Arthur C. Clarke a letter, and I have a copy of that letter right here because come on, I do I do do my research occasionally, and 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 Stanley Kubrick personally writes to Arthur C. Clarke, and here's his here's his letter, dear Mister Clarke, it is a very interesting coincidence that our mutual friend. Karis mentioned you in a conversation we were having about a Quest Star telescope. I had been a great admirer of your books for quite some time and had always wanted to discuss with you the possibility of doing the proverbial really good science fiction movie. My main interest lies along these broad areas, naturally assuming great plot and great character. One, the reasons for believing in the existence of intelligent extraterrestrial life. Two, the impact and perhaps even lack of impact in some quarters such discovery would have had on the earth in the near future three a space probe with a landing and exploration of the moon and mars roger tells me you are planning to come to new york this summer do you have an inflexible schedule if not would you consider coming sooner with a view towards a meeting the purpose of which would be to determine whether an idea might exist or arise which could suffice in interesting both of us enough to want to collaborate on a screenplay. So that is that. I just wrote to you, sincerely, Stanley Kubrick writes to Arthur C. Clarke. He wants to start jamming with him. He wants to start talking to him about how they can work together and make this, again, what does he say? He says, in quotes, it's in parentheses, uh, talking to you about the possibility of doing the proverbial, in quotes, really good science fiction movie. So so Stanley wanted to, uh, you know, he he wanted to, get into the sci-fi game and, 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 and dip his toe and make kind of, again, as so many of these directors, they have a different, you know, they have, they have, obviously the guy had made, uh, this incredible Spartacus film that had swept everyone. Then he makes a very, uh, you know, controversial movie called Lolita following Spartacus. This is, this is the filmography of Stanley Kubrick. You know, again, uh, Lolita gets, gets some hot water. It's, 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 um, seemingly very sexualized uh then dr strange glove just blows this you know just blows everyone away and then we follow up with a space odyssey 2001 a space odyssey and, and a couple of years later of course a clockwork orange is also a, a, a kind of a dystopian sci-fi element picture um not in the same way that it's like this visionary sci-fi masterpiece like 2001 a space odyssey with all these sci-fi elements again the spaceships the uh the, the computer the monolith the space travel, the futuristic vision. Um, I mean, again, this, this guy's filmography is not exactly expansive. He, he was a very deliberate filmmaker, very um, specific in how he wanted to um, make films. He's famous. Again, this speaks to the two years with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman overseas doing Eyes Wide Shut. He's famous for doing all of these repeated takes. Way more, you hear all about all these other, um, you know, directors, David Fincher, Paul Thomas Anderson, who wanted to do the repeated takes, the repeated takes that started really and became perfected in, in its notoriety by Stanley Kubrick, who would who would demand umpteen um, amount of takes on, on on his set, and uh, and you know famously uh, again the character in Eyes Wide Shut that you that the lawyer that advises um, uh, the the lawyer that advises. Uh, 
Tom Cruise in Eyes Wide Shut, or he, he's he's the, the the powerful, influential guy. They have the discussion at the pool table, and he sees him in the beginning of Eyes Wide Shut. He's kind of, I guess, the doctor, not the lawyer. It's a doctor, but in uh, uh, that is played by a director named Sidney Pollack, who directed like you know Three Days of the Condor. Um, he directed you know Jeremiah Johnson with with Robert Robert Redford. Uh, that he did that role because Harvey Keitel walked off of Eyes Wide Shut. Harvey Keitel is on camera. You can find the interviews on YouTube of him saying, "I just didn't want to do any more of this bullshit." He famously walked off of Eyes Wide Shut because he just thought uh, that that Kubrick's process was too much for him, and he was no longer interested in doing cut after cut after cut. So Kubrick's process and his direction and and uh, his sets are not for everybody. And in this case, once Keitel left. Uh, Kubrick called his friend, a fellow director who was dabbling in 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 in, uh, in acting uh, as well. Uh, so Sidney Pollack shows up and and he, and he performs in that role. So so again, just speaking to to Kubrick, his method, um, the deliberateness of his vision. So he turns his his sights on this. He starts collaborating with Arthur C. Clarke, and what we get is this seminal movie that uh, is 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 incredibly influential and and shapes all, all manner of 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 kind of artistry around it. It is, I, I really believe, again, as time goes by, we are truly lo- losing uh, the, the, uh, the impact, let's say the impact of, of, uh, of what Stanley Kubrick did on 2001 A Space Odyssey. At, at a casual glance, if you were to Google and you, you're not familiar with 2001 A Space Odyssey, you would find that... Um, when people ask why it's so special, it says the film 2001 A Space Odyssey is noted for its scientifically accurate depiction of spaceflight, pioneering special effects, and ambiguous, <clears throat> ambiguous imagery. Uh, Kubrick avoided conventional cinematic and narrative techniques. Dialogue is used sparingly, and there are long sequences accompanied only by music. Uh, some other commentary. Uh, Kubrick's masterpiece. This is, again, in, in, in regards to making of 2001. But again, I just thought you'd be interested. It starts with this acclaimed director writing this letter to an acclaimed science fiction author about, hey, let's do a cool sci-fi movie together. Can you meet with me? Are you going to be in, in, on the East Coast this summer? Could we possibly get together? Could we possibly talk about jamming on, on this? Um, Kubrick's masterpiece, 2001 A Space Odyssey was plotted with science fiction master Arthur C. Clarke, who is probably more responsible for the look of our world smooth as a screen than any other scientist. Man-made satellites, GPS, the smartphone, space stations, all predicted by Clarke. Uh, 2001 picked up on ideas Clarke had explored in his earlier works, particularly his, particularly his novel Childhood's End, The Fading of the Human Race, its transition from the swamp planet to the star-spangled depths of deep space. Of deep space. <laughs> In 2001, change comes in the form of a monolith, a a featureless black shard that an alien intelligence, you can call it God, parked on on a primitive plane. Its presence remakes a tribe of apes, turning them into world-exploring, tool-building killers who will not stop until they find their creator. The monolith buried on the dark side of the moon. Uh, The plot is not what many viewers expected, and so many of the audience that saw this was in fact stoned uh it was the special effects that lingered the technology that inspired these people um 
and, and, and inspired like the wow oh and and was the talk when people came out like can you believe what we just watched and again stanley kubrick uh has has, has when he did speak of 2001 everything in there is deliberate maybe kind of the lack of acting uh the the the, the wooden performances he wanted a visual representation more than he wanted some epic uh exercise in acting and performance uh, most striking is a scene set on the moon in which a group of astronauts post-human in their suits descend in to an into an excavation where once again the human race comes in, into contact with the monolith shot in a studio it looks more like actual landings it's the shadow light the space and the enclosure also there is no cgi no computer graphics no computer effects throughout the entire movie everything is practical it is models physical objects so uh again uh just this is this is what really set 2001 uh, a space odyssey apart but conceptually it is the monolith okay And, and 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 interestingly enough if you have watched the initial teaser trailer for barbie that came out uh the, the very first one where she's dressed in the very first baby suit uh bathing suit the very first it's black and white striped bathing suit that that the barbie doll had so margot robbie it is a takeoff on the scene in 2001 down to the music with the monolith the monolith with this which is also like a little black mirror hence the the bbc uh netflix show black mirror again the first time we see this black mirror called the monolith it is this element that is life-changing to astronauts again to cavemen it is kind of the it is the connective tissue of 2001 a space odyssey and at that point this is where we're going to pivot to the jack kirby of it all because this is where we really see that jack uses when he does 2001 a space odyssey jack really keys in on the monolith as as his uh as as the tool that he's going to take and tell his stories with in comic book form the monolith uh black mirror uh <clears throat> that 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 kirby utilizes uh really lends itself to all manner of different interpretation and storytelling devices and again going back to uh the original vision that that kubrick had in regards to what he was trying to tell audiences it's stanley kubrick's films were meant to um he was having a conversation with his audiences and no matter what you're watching of stanley kubrick he's trying to tell you something and 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 i think just the very nature of of the the way he told his films and presented them uh naturally lends itself to all of the conspiratorial stuff that followed all the conspiratorial stuff people were like you know he's already trying to tell me something what about the something behind the something and then the something behind the other something so so that really becomes the focus and uh i think why people you know looked uh into his films because again 2001 space odyssey is an unconventional picture it's in it's a brilliant piece of work but it was not i think what audience was was, were expecting stanley kubrick told playboy magazine in 1968 that 2001 a space odyssey is a subjective film it is meant to reach the inner level of the consciousness of the audience just as music does so you can imagine uh how 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 different the approach is bringing this adaptation to comic book form so 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 1968 2001 space odyssey 
is uh, is is released, acclaimed, and 1976 Marvel packs with MGM, and no one can say exactly why, but it's just MGM puts it out there that they've made 2001: A Space Odyssey available. Marvel it's starting to dip its teeth, its uh, its toes, and sink its teeth into adaptations. And we've covered on Rob's observation several times how over the years there was all manner of different approaches to how they felt about these adaptations. Stanley was not thrilled with them. He did not want to do Star Wars. Go listen to my Star Wars dedicated podcast. He was on record as opposing uh, working with Lucasfilm to bring Star Wars to light. They had just done Logan's Run. I think it was kind of a middling uh, <clears throat> return on the investment. They had also done Planet of the Apes, which was super successful. I've done also a dedicated Marvel's Planet of the Apes podcast because. They not only did a monthly comic book, they did a magazine, a black and white magazine that you could reach on the newsstands at your grocery store in the 70s um, with, with the, the Time Life, <clears throat> Newsweek, uh, uh, Sports Illustrated, boom, Planet of the Apes magazine, magazine side, Marvel Comics, capitalizing on the incredible success that the Apes films had had, especially after they hit uh, television on repeat viewings. Conan the Barbarian. One of the one of the biggest licenses Marvel ever did. A, another that that Stan opposed. I think he just wanted to have the Marvel universe and their publishing, uh, you know, mission statement be much much more pure, and and so he didn't he wasn't really thrilled with these um, licensing packs. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I've done a few licenses as a publisher. I I I, I went to Universal Studios. I convinced them to publish. Uh, let me let me have the license to publish Battlestar Galactica comics after there hadn't been any in almost 20 years. They were so thrilled that someone called that picked up the phone. Then after we did a great job and we did really good sales far beyond what they were expecting. They then, of course, upped the price of the license as is, you know, you know, they're right. It's, it's theirs. Oh, something fell. Uh, it, it, it is their right uh, in, in regards to, to uh, you know, being the licensor and going, well, wow, this went far, far, you know. This was more, far more successful than, than we anticipated. So just like season tickets at, at your sports arena, at, at your favorite club, they're going to jack up the price and they're going to make it you know, more for the next time around. And so uh, in, in, in just dab, dabbling in, in licensing, and, and that's a time that, that, that like, they didn't care what I did. We didn't have likenesses. They didn't need approvals. They were just happy to get each and every one of the comics and see the sales figures and see their, um, you know, see that licensing money. And, and whether it's action figures or, or so many of the different licenses. And, 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 and trust me, we're going to definitely get around to discussing the 2001 A Space Odyssey is one of the forbidden fruits. I've done a dedicated graph, uh, uh, podcast, a dedicated episode two, actually. If you look up the, the, the um, moniker Forbidden Fruits, it's where we first discussed all of the unadapted works, the stuff that came out of its time but is unable to be collected. We are now doing a victory lap, of course, because... In the last few weeks, Micronauts and ROM are getting new collections from Marvel 40 years after they were originally released that you could only experience those in comic book format and they've never been collected before and now they're being collected. 2001 A Space Odyssey is another forbidden fruit. It has never been collected. These 10 Jack Kirby um, issues and, and this brilliant Treasury Edition have not been collected. There have been attempts to to collect this um they have approached mgm uh not 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 marvel but the kirby collector has they've asked if they can do like a pencils only an art of something to get this stuff collected but again back into the forbidden fruits it is 1976 
that is the year that 2001 A Space Odyssey by Jack Kirby uh, took flight, the movie adaptation and then the subsequent television series. And none of that has been reprinted and it cannot be reprinted because again, it's a shared license. Marvel did the comics. They own that work. MGM owns the concept that they did the work on. So it would take both of them to come together to, to put that out there. But now with ROM and Micronauts, you know, two years after I did these Forbidden Fruits um, podcast, again, Logan's Run, the film adaptation by George Perez, Klaus Janssen, still not collected. Okay, there's plenty of stuff. Shogun, Shogun Warriors, still not collected. The Godzillas from Marvel, I don't know how they snuck it in there, but they got one basically black and white phone book, the Essential Editions, which are the black and white reprints of Marvel's comics, but not a color, a true color edition. And especially when you're talking about the Shogun Warriors and you're talking about Godzilla, you want the big stuff. Give me big, big, giant. I mean, they're, they're big, giant characters. They literally were skyscraper-sized characters. Give me giant, you know, editions of those, like absolute editions, omnibuses, whatever. But 2001, A Space Odyssey. Enter Jack Kirby, who convinces Marvel or Marvel, someone at Marvel is like, let's get it. Let's, let's get the license from MGM. Let's do something we don't like doing. We're going to license things. Now, obviously one year later with Star Wars, all of that changes and everybody and their mother brings their license to Marvel and Marvel pretty much says yes to everyone and everything, which is how you get Micronauts, which is how you get ROM, which is how you eventually get the new versions of Transformer. I'm I'm sorry, the new version of, of GI Joe, which is, is in its real American hero phase. You get the Transformers. Uh, you get Indiana Jones, you know, that Marvel does the last Starfighter. I mean, trust me, they start doing James Bond, you know, movie adaptations that they had not done prior. So they, they really, you know, this licensing thing took off, but they didn't, uh, they, 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 they weren't really, uh, known for adaptations. And so 2001, a space Odyssey represented this licensing agreement, uh, with MGM and they and 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 yet it's eight years after the fact. This movie hasn't been in theaters for eight years. It's acclaimed. People know it. People like myself encounter 2001: A Space Odyssey. Of course, I didn't see it in, in a theater. I was one. Like so many, I saw it when it came on television. You know, as a Sunday night movie, as a as a a special presentation. You know, uh, uh, on CBS, on ABC, whoever had the licensing, whoever was um, this is before cable television. There's no HBO that I can watch 2001 on in 1975 not to my knowledge not the hbo that we would come and know and love these these movies now have to wait a certain gestation period and then they appeared on television which is again how the masses then interact with them how the masses then saw planet of the apes how the masses saw 2001 a space odyssey so they pack with jack kirby marvel comics and jack kirby is tapped to do it and jack does the work of his career up in this up until this point the treasury edition of 2001 a space odyssey is a marvel to behold jack takes uh it, it, it is literally seen by so many as the seminal work uh like like that he literally rose to the occasion going he knew he knew the importance of stanley kubrick stack uh, uh jack watched movies he watched tv he knew uh the, the weight and the volume of what he was adapting. And he rose to the occasion. These pages are, are just fantastic. I'm looking at pages 28 and 29 right now, which has the astronauts assembled in front of the, uh, the monolith. And, 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 and uh, oh man, the giant close-up of the astronaut looking up, just you can sense the wonder and the awe. As a, as a film adaptation, it's, it's an absolute home run. Now, Something as subtle and and as you know, 
something to be absorbed into the consciousness as Stanley Kubrick intended 2001 to be is then handed over to the most brawny, bold, uh, masculine, uh, aggressive artist of his age in Jack Kirby, who's, you know, come on, this guy gave birth to the Marvel Universe, the, the, the Fantastic Four, Avengers, X-Men, Thor, Iron Man. He's the guy who, along with Joe Simon in World War II, gave you Captain America. I mean, everything about him is brawny and, and, and has machismo to spare. And he's now, and, and look, I'm going to tell you, his interpretation of these of, 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 of all of the cosmic space elements from down to the astronauts is, um, is, is fantastic. It is, it, is, it is the unexpected, perfect companion piece to this very, uh, you know, almost esoteric film. And now Jack Kirby's got it and he's making it a mighty Marvel comic book. And I mean, literally, all of the visuals, all of these visuals, I, I, am, I am telling you that as a companion to the film, what Jack is pulling off is perfectly complementary, even though it is completely opposite of what Kubrick did. It, it achieves the complete opposite with its big, brawny um, imagery and storytelling. And, and, and I, mean, I mean, there's a splash page of this astronaut in freefall that is as good as any you know, action shot you're going to see of the Thor thing of Captain America, but, and, it, and it seamlessly fits alongside Kubrick's work. Because we, we know what the Kubrick work is, but Kirby is taking it and putting his extra stamp of aggression and energy and boldness on it. But so I cannot, as I hold this, 2001 A Space Odyssey, an official adaptation of the MGM Stanley Kubrick production, the ultimate trip becomes the ultimate illustrated adventure. I mean, you got, you, you got to see this to believe it. It, it, is, it is fantastic. So, of course, Jack, uh, you know, with, whether it's the, the adaptation towards the end of the Star, Trial, the Star Child or some of the panels, panels where he is specifically mimicking some of Kubrick's shots, he uh, is adding dense text, uh, which, which is juxtaposed to the director's elegant aesthetic, okay? You know, Jack is pounding word balloons and captions. And he's just like filling this thing up and it's fantastic and we are better for it. But again, um, it is almost like this, this thing that should not be as complimentary to the film as it is, but it is. Uh, there is no record of Kubrick ever talking to Jack Kirby, contacting him, interacting with him in any way. But you know, you know Stanley Kubrick somewhere in his den, as I mentioned earlier, in his den, he had this even if it was, look what Marvel Comics did to my, my film, right? Or, hey, Steven and Francis and all my new buddies uh, who are now, you know, co- coming up. Um, hey, why don't you check out this Marvel adaptation of my, you know, really expensive art film also. Let's talk about that moon landing I faked. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, you can, you, your, your imagination can run away. But I absolutely believe that um, just like uh, it, it, it was on the 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 coffee table of one of the most prominent comic creators who was way too young to obtain it in the first place or when it originally came out i believe stanley kubrick had these comic books in his possession uh so jack then takes it and he spins it off into this 10 issues right so again and here's the other thing we have to understand and it's and, and marvel again it's the reason that these are forbidden fruits let's delve really into the reason micronauts and rom have taken so long because marvel 
the Marvel lawyers who are no longer there, not, not the new guys. The new guys are really good. Trust me, I've dealt with them. They're really good. But these old cats in the 70s, man, they, they knew their way around some contracts because, again, Marvel introducing its own characters into Micronauts as they did, introducing so many of their own characters, including their own Marvel characters that ran through the stories of not just Micronauts, but Rom, um, carved out that what Marvel creates is Marvel's. And what MGM brought to the table, or in, in the case of these toys, Hasbro or you know Lucasfilm, that's Lucasfilms, okay? Now, in the, in the course of Star Wars, the contracts got tighter and they favored Lucasfilm. Because in, in recent months, I've, I've looked into, um, you know, I, I, my curiosity led me down the path of asking some of these um, uh, uh, Mar- Marvel people who were around back then and, and who could answer my questions. And they're like, oh, no, 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 the, the most airtight contracts we ever encountered came in 1977 with star wars and so anything that they create anything a giant green bunny uh with with guns as they did with jackson is is owned by lucasfilm not star wars but prior to that uh, or, or following that maybe is when they got a little smarter but in 2001 we are we are this predates star wars and so much of what jack kirby is going to bring to life in his 10 issues is going to leave with jack kirby in marvel comics when that that mgm contract breaks Obviously, they don't have the uh, rights to do two, 2001 A Space Odyssey and the you know, rights have not been revisited. Otherwise, we would get a collection. You know, Most people have their Jack Kirby stuff all collected. I know I do. I have omnibuses, hardcovers, softcovers of everything he ever did. And there's a character that came out of this, introduced first as Mr. Machine, and then we've gone on to know him as Machine Man. That is one of my favorite Jack Kirby uh, runs on any comic, one of my favorite characters, and I'll, and I'll tell you why in a second. But he is a product of Jack's creativity that he brings to the adaptation of 2001, A Space Odyssey. I'm slightly getting ahead of myself here, but we are, um, we are definitely going to be able to wrap this up in one as episode. Thank God. I, 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 thought, the con- I thought my mind would, would, would run with the Stanley Kubrick um, you know, controversy stuff more than it did. But we've covered Stanley contacts Arthur C. Clarke. They set about to make this vision based on his, 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 his uh, work, The Sentinel, and then they... Um, you know, have this incredible experience. He, 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 the, the movie becomes incredibly influential. And eight years later, Marvel has pacted with MGM and require and, and acquired the rights. And, uh, I mean, Jack is quite an architect, but he is coming back to Marvel at this time, leaving DC where he's been for about six years, where, where he brought you the new gods and the demon and OMAC and Commandy and forever people in Mr. Miracle. Jack circles back to Marvel. They put big ads, the soapbox column, Stan Lee, Jack is back. Um, one of Jolly Jack's first projects is a Marvel Treasury edition of, hold on to your hat, Stan writes, 2001 A Space Odyssey. According to Mark Evanier, who we all know and uh, was, was, was perhaps an assistant, more than an assistant, an editorial assistant, a proofwriter, but up in uh, at Jack's home in Thousand Oaks, uh, Mark found himself for, for much of this period of Jack's life. And Mark says that uh, his understanding, his recollection, is that Marvel was like, who can we have do this now that we have this, the rights from NGM to do this? And uh, uh, they, they felt that Jack Kirby was exactly the right guy to take this on. Um, even though Mark says that he didn't have, Jack didn't feel, this is Mark's quotes, he didn't feel like he had a lot of wiggle, wiggle room to inject himself into this. Um, uh, he had to keep reminding himself, I am 
putting forth Stanley Kubrick's viewpoint. Okay. And, and again, think of the big, bold, brawny way that he depicts this, but also in many ways, it is very reflective of the movie. It's just told in that because he can't not be super dynamic. It's told in that super dynamic fashion that, um, that Jack presents. And th- th- this story about, about Mark and, uh, and, and, and him recollecting 2001 is taken from, uh, the, the, uh, <clears throat> the biography Kirby King of comics. Uh, so, so Jack was provided reference stills and, uh, the screenplay by Arthur C. Clark, uh, the screenplay, both the one that Arthur C. Clarke um, weighed in on and also his novelization. Um, he, you know, obviously Jack Kirby's version of anything is going to be instantly recognizable, um, a, 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 as instantly recognizable as these instantly recognizable iconic astronaut suits, spacecraft, um, and, and, uh, and, and sci-fi visualizations from the movie were. Uh, but again, the pure splash page power of Jack Kirby, um, spacesuit clad astronauts gaping at exploding cosmic skies. Um, are, 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 you know, Jack putting his own imprimatur on, on Stanley's incredible vision. And then, but, but again, it, it was, it was really the text and all the extra added words and captions that people were, um, were entertained by when, 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 uh, when Kirby adapted it, it's a, it's 72 pages. Uh, and, and Jack Kirby has said of the 2001 space odyssey that it was an absolute honor. And, and, uh, even though he said it, it was more, more work than fun, but, uh, Marvel, given the success of this treasury edition, asked for more and went to cat, went to Jack and really what Jack does in the course of the series. And I have these issues right here. I have the 2001 comics. And what I really want to um, focus on is what, again, as I said, he takes this idea, or especially early on in the first several, you know, five, six issues, that people will have these specific encounters with uh, the Black Mirror, with the, with the monolith, that will give them or, or, or reveal to them that maybe the story that you saw is the imagination of, a, of an astronaut who is staring into the monolith. And that is certainly the case in one of, uh, in, in, in some, in, in, in many people's uh, favorite issue of 2001, I believe it's issue five, it takes place in Comicville and it finds a guy who is off to save a princess uh, behind the, the, the walls of a citadel um, only to be disappointed by what he finds. And then when he gets back, uh, you know, to his apartment and, and, and in this rundown dystopian future, we see from the other side that it is actually an astronaut looking into the monolith. And, and that is the story that we just encountered. And, and now the story is taking an, yet another turn. And, and are we still looking into the monolith? Jack really used it. There, there was some Twilight Zone aspects to what Jack brought to how he um, interpreted people's encounter with, uh, with, with the monolith. But uh, <clears throat> Jack was totally game for this because... One of the reasons everybody wants this stuff collected, like I just said, all the collections I have, all the hardcovers you have, the omnibuses, the stuff that we have on our shelves, because we are obsessed with putting stuff on our shelves. Um, we want this 2001 stuff collected because it's so great. So, so 2001, A Space Odyssey. Number two, I want to focus on number two. Second startling issue. A fiery female makes the centuries trip from the caves to eternity. Vi- Vera, the she-demon. The splash page did. 2001 a space odyssey number two vera the she demon 
Are we at the end of the line? Are we the last to stop in the journey of a human evolution? The answer could be that the voyage is far from over. Each of us could be a stepping stone to the new seed. That's what Jack called basically the star child at the end. And, and, and the potential of the monolith uh, is, 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 is the fulfillment of that, is, this, is the new seed. But let us not leap to the future before we explore the dim past for one who began her odyssey in a cave of skulls. And this shot of Vera, this cave woman warrior with her, um, her, her, her staff with a, with a smoldering uh, skeleton, a molten skeleton that she's clearly picked pick, pick, pick from the fire. She, she's holding it against the uh, other cavemen who have knives and, 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 and sticks uh, that are facing off against her. And she's doing it with the monolith behind her. It's, this is the monolith. Is it alien intelligence or an entry to the stars? Vera, the she-demon. Be gone, you hunters of vermin. Be gone, Vera says as she, as she, she waves this in front of her. And just, the, again, as with everything with Jack in it, man, it is facing this kick-ass $6 million man toy ad where he's facing off against Maskatron, a character who did not appear in the $6 million television. But I digress. The, 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 look, the interior, the IFC, the $6 million doll ad, killer. Takes me back, takes me back. But Vera standing here in this battle position, this gesture, the strength of this gesture, the, the crop of this shot is just, you know, picture perfect, as, as with everything Jack does. Then, of course, and I've talked about this often, Jack's, you know, splash page, then double page splash is immediately followed here. Now we pull the camera back and we see her successfully fending off not one, but two, three, four, five, six, seven. I see seven is there eight cavemen. Some of them are hurling rocks at her, lifting rocks, boulders. They have their knives, their swords, their clubs. And uh, it says Vera is a non-submissive female who is trying to survive in a primitive world swarming with males who dominate or kill. Having wandered into a ritual cave, Reserved for the storage of enemy skulls, she finds herself surprised by tribal warriors returning from the hunt. She says, I only seek food here. I have not eaten for a full day, she says. Again, this powerful, it's like a She-Hulk presence, except she's, she's ashen gray, as are the, the cavemen. And she's pushing them back with her, um, the, 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 the flaming skull that's on the end of her, her long staff. And uh, the caveman says, see, she has made our enemies return to life with the eyes of fire. And then another caveman says, this is a fearsome thing. Our spears are faced by the flaming dead. And then another caveman says, the stone spirit has given her the, com- the power to command the dead. So we're getting this, this uh, tense standoff here. And of course, as only Vera the she-demon can do, she fights them off successfully. They're not going to um, stand between her. And she escapes, and she's at the base of a, of a, of a, of a volcano and and she's struggling she's starved and boom there it is the giant black monolith appears in front of her and as she stares into it and she in fact touches it uh she is granted a, a vision and we 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 then see that she basically goes back and commands the tribe and they, they bow to her, but then we juxtapose to a female astronaut who we're, we're, we're meant to ask, is, is this Vera? Is this another version of Vera? Is the cave woman? Is Vera the she-devil? Uh, she-devil is, she, is, that a, is that a product of this astronaut's imagination or is Jack juxtaposing the, 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 the very um, you know, earliest adventures of, of you know, 
medieval man, like, I mean, uh, 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 us at our most primitive with us now at our most advanced in these sci-fi astronaut spacesuits. And, uh, but then at the end, the astronaut finds, uh, she, she morphs. And I'm telling you, page 22 of 2001, a space odyssey issue two has like the most wicked cosmic awareness, uh, face. Like like this woman who is falling, the, the the female astronaut falls into the monolith, and she is like having this cosmic awareness, and it is the most wicked, uh, just visualization of what it must be like to to enter into another cosmic consciousness, more so than anything he did with the Silver Surfer, Doctor Doom, any of the cosmic stuff that he pulled off in any of his Marvel work prior to this. This is just absolutely insane. But when she comes out of this cosmic awareness, she's swimming in a pool. Looks like she's on vacation. She's in a bikini. She she she's uh she's swimming in a, in a pool. She comes up. She hangs out with all the other people, the neighbors. It says, and the sun, the, the 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 warm sun is on her face. And then she falls to sleep, and we see her turn into a decrepit old lady. Her hair goes gray, and then the next thing we know, she is um she is a corpse, and an an aged corpse. And then she continues to morph and is. A space seed, a new seed by the end of this issue. It is fully a trip from cave woman to astronaut to woman poolside to dead to space seed in one issue. Now, the caveman imagery, which he handles in the Treasury Edition, and he handles uh, also heavily in the very first issue, the Beast Killer. I'm, I'm, I'm holding 2001 A Space Odyssey, the, the first monthly issue right here by Jack Kirby. Um, a lot of caveman stuff. And so where I'm going with this is, it is not an accident to me. So many people focus on, you know, Mr. Machine who became Machine Man, the, the, the creation of X-51 and Machine Man, once he hit the Marvel Universe, uh, would not look back. And, 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 and over the course of him towards the end, uh, the end of, uh, of, his, of his 2001 a Space Odyssey run, and it's, it's, it's been surmised by Mark Evanier and others that he brought in Mr. Machine again you would know him nowadays as Machine Man or X-51. He appeared in the next wave that Warren Ellis and Stuart Amonin pulled off in the early 2000s. Machine Man is one of my favorite. Again, I'll get to it, why I love Jack Kirby's Machine Man so much. Uh, in, in, in like here, I've got, I've, got, uh, I've got 2001 A Space Odyssey issue eight in my hands. And uh, this is actually now published in 1977. And... Uh, as we keep chugging along, but th- this series is cl- is at a close. In, in, in two issues, it's going to be done. It's it's going it's to be over. And uh, and in 2001: A Space Odyssey, the the in- introduction of X51 makes this a much more superhero uh, themed uh, book. As 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 our android, our 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 uh, synthetic life, X51. I mean, the, the splash page. They're trying to pull him back. It says the capture of X51. So much of the focus is that Machine Man came from 2001: A Space Odyssey, and he did. And the, I mean, he looks exactly like you would get in your dedicated Machine Man. Again, speaking to collected editions, right over here in my bookshelf, I have Jack Kirby's Machine Man collected all the works. And I'm telling you right now, you should absolutely read that work. It is, it is, it is so great. There's a, the, what I loved about what Jack did with Machine Man. Here it is. This really, his exploration of a machine wanting to find a soul was very uh, reminiscent of all the stuff I had loved about the vision as he was depicted in the past in the Avengers and his, you know, am I a machine? Am I a man? Can I have a soul? Do I have feelings? 
Jack made an entire series about this as the military is hunting X-51 machine man. And the great thing is it really put Jack's imagination uh, just on hyper, on hyperdrive, on hyperspeed. Because all as a kid, I was like, wait, roller skates just popped out of his feet. And then wait, he's got gi- giant tank tire tracks that are coming out of his arms. Um, machine man, anything Jack thought of. Uh, microscopic eyes that popped out of his head. Each one of his fingers, one was a flamethrower, one had bullets, one had like energy emissions. I mean, Jack was just taken, uh, Machine Man introduced as Mr. Machine in the earlier issues of 2001 A Space Odyssey. He just took it and he ran. But these original issues can't be reprinted, these original issues with X-51. But again, so 2001 winds down, MGM, and they, 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 they go their different ways. But again, page page 16, page 17 of, of 2001, A Space Odyssey, issue 8, with Machine Man flying all over the place and the military trying to obtain him. This is exciting stuff. And this is literally the Machine Man of the comic book that Jack would spin off and give you Machine Man. But these pages, these specific pages in 2001, you are not able to access. It is forbidden fruit. But here's the point. What's the other book that Jack did right after this? It was Devil Dinosaur. Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy, a property that you are seeing now uh, as Devil Dinosaur and Moon Girl, but but Disney is continuing to tap into this. All of this caveman, Cro-Magnon, you know, early man, tribal, uh, you know, <clears throat> you know, primitive tribes that Jack depicted in 2001 throughout the series, I believe, informed where Jack would go next. 2001 was a roadmap of where Jack would go with the next several years of his life. Of, of his life, not his lives. He would follow through and he would pursue X-51, the Adventures of Machine Man, which he did for a, a solid year. And, and the great thing about Machine Man is later, Steve Ditko would come on. So you got the two pioneers, the two godfathers of every Marvel character are, are combined on this one uh, offshoot of 2001, this one kind of creative vision that, that Jack took. But the dinosaur and the primitive man tribes cannot be dissuaded in that I think by drawing so much of this, Jack's like, I like this. I would like to do more of this. Devil Dinosaur is a comic I don't talk enough about. I have it also collected right over here, but I bought every issue. I loved Monsters. It was coming out around the same time of, of, of Marvel's Godzilla adaptation that Herb Trimp was drawing, Herb Trimpy. And, and at one point, if, can you believe this? Godzilla and Devil Dinosaur, they fight, they cross over. And it was super exciting. I was, we, I love the big monsters, the big giant, you know, uh, beast period of, of the late seventies that bring on the monsters monster week. I've talked to you about all the movies that they'd strip Monday through Friday. And this was an extension of that. So, so, so truly Jack's monster book was a dinosaur book and, and his exploration of cavemen and primitive man and these tribes come from his expansive work in adapting and furthering the concepts of 2001. That, that, that come from Arthur C. Clarke first and foremost and Stanley Kubrick and his brilliant vision. Two great tastes that absolutely should not taste great together, but they did. We, we, 2001 by Stanley Kubrick was so uh, powerful that it inspired the king of comics, no less, to make it his return engagement when he lands back at Marvel. Now, of course, beyond this, he does Captain America, he does Black Panther, all that you should grab all that you should grab i i am on record 1970s jack is my favorite that includes all of the dc stuff all through this marvel period the captain america the black panther the 2001 machine man and and devil dinosaur and i believe 2001 specifically if you look at the contents and i mean issue one and two are jam-packed with with this this you know 
caveman, uh, primitive man, prehistoric times. And, and I think Jack was like, I dig this. This is fun. I can make an entire series based on this. And he did. And he spun off X-51, Mr. Machine slash becomes Machine Man, becomes his own kick-ass comic book comics I never, ever missed. I bought Devil Dinosaur, I bought Machine Man, and they both are a product of 2001. Now, we can rub our magic lamps, we can hope against hope uh, that, that, that these 2001 books finally get completed, and you can have it on the same shelf that you have your 2001, uh, you know, 4K special edition or whatever new edition they'll be put, putting out at that time. But so Stan and Jack, not the Stan you expected, but the Jack we love, united for this incredible work and it was such a blast going back through it again i wish i had more time to carry you through more of this but uh i mean look uh the 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 legacy of 2001 is is carried on by marvel that that's kind of the through line here what was started with mgm is now uh, i have no doubt now now or or maybe maybe you know, I mean, we've got action figures. I've got Machine Man action figures. I have no doubt that Machine Man will break big, break break large. Um, but uh, literally, what started with Stanley Kubrick came to live in Marvel Comics and continues to live because I could call it Marvel Comics right now and probably make a compelling case that I want to do Machine Man and Deadpool together. And they'd be like, good, do that. And, and, and actually, as we close up, I, I think that's what I'm going to do. I, I didn't expect that. But now that I've said it, I have to, I have to, I have to bring it to fruition. I have to make it happen. Um, uh, you know, the bottom line is so many people just haven't seen this, it, it, that forbidden fruit category that so much of this work falls into. Uh, it, it's because it's, it's been, it's been forgotten. It's been out of sight. It's been out of mind. But, um, you know, again, the Kirby uh, Museum uh, staged a, an, exib- an exhibition of so much of Jack's work several years back. And uh, everybody wants this thing collected, okay? Everybody wants this thing collected. And again, uh, the, the, the Kirby Museum, Kirby Collector, they, they are on record. Uh, they are absolutely on record. Uh, <clears throat> uh, as, as trying to put together, you know, some sort of slipcase addition, some sort of special... Uh, you know, special collection of this work that they are on record as saying they are frustrated uh, because they can't seem to make it happen because they know that more people would talk about it if they could see it. And if you can go back, I'm going to tell you right now, these are affordable to get. You, you, you're you going to probably pay the most for the 2001 absolute, the actual film adaptation, which is only in its treasury edition form. And then the comic books are regular comic book size. Um, You can get all those cheap, the, the, the treasury edition, the movie adaptation is probably going to be the one that, that is the most costly, but they are absolutely worth seeking out, worth obtaining, worth having. And I just uh, was w- w- ha- just wanted to share this with you, how one of the greatest, most intriguing, most controversial filmmakers of all time, uh, his work would go and be adapted and live on in the Marvel Universe at the hands of the king, you know, at the fingertips of the king who clearly was inspired. Again, I cannot underscore how, be- how just beautiful, brilliant, bold, uh, all of Jack's work on 2001. And Mark Avenir, Mark Avenir said that Jack was, again, extremely proud of the work. It was hard work because he wanted to, again, I think he wanted to do, you know, 2001 proud. He wanted to do the film version proud. But boy, the thing starts to cook in these individual issues. So yeah, lots of connections. Um, Kubrick's vision lives on 
uh, through Marvel with Machine Man, with Devil Dinosaur, uh, which I believe... Devil Dinosaur did not run out of these pages, but I believe that influence is directly connected, as I have said now 15 times. Oh man, what a blast. I never want these discussions to end because they're so fun. But um, but yeah, so so if you can check these out, check these out, you will be handsomely rewarded. These are fun comics. They are great escapism. And I'm telling you, it's among the best work that Jack has done. And consider what I'm saying when I say that. That is something. Uh that that issue two alone is a trip. That issue five in Comicsville. Um Jack did some really good, what we would now call Black Mirror, what that at back then they'd call Twilight Zone, uh, Outer Limits kind of approach to the monolith as the Black Mirror. And you should check them out. And I highly, highly recommend them. And, uh, and this was just such a blast to revisit this work today. A couple of little um, add-ons here at the end is uh, that in, in case you were not aware, the very first comic book adaptation uh, of, of 2001 A Space Odyssey came on the children's menu from Howard Johnson's uh, in, in 1968. Yes, there was a chain of restaurants. There was plenty in Southern California. And, and sometimes when I, when I go around the country, I see the, uh, the older ones. But <clears throat> I'm looking at it right now, a preview edition. The uh, hotel restaurant chain, chain uh, commissioned a children's menu that included uh, scenes, excerpts, and panels from that, that were specifically commissioned for 2001, a space odyssey. And again, it was, it was, uh, and this was a big deal back in the day, whether it was Howard Johnson's or Bob's big boy, which was a restaurant, um, little, little Robbie frequented all the time. It was down the street. Uh, when we moved to our second home as a kid, uh, you would get a little comic book. You could, you know, two, three pages of a comic book. You can color in it. You can draw on it. So, so this is a really popular thing. And Howard Johnson, which was also a restaurant and hotel chain, uh, and again, uh, I'm sure MGM was looking at the, the promotional opportunities here. They created this menu and uh, <clears throat> I'm looking at these different excerpts, the, the, the Howard Johnson's 2001 uh, Space Odyssey. And again, it's, uh, you know, shows an astronaut floating in space, a mysterious accident sends him adrift in the vastness of outer space. One of the spine tingling episodes of this dramatic, in this dramatic film of adventure in space. So they're, they're giving you illustrated excerpts and and in the middle of it it says mgm presents a film by stanley kubrick a space odyssey 2001 a space odyssey cinerama super panavision and metro color and this this is a preview so the child children's menu uh gave a preview of the different panels and illustrations and it has a a, it has a uh, killer shot of the space station from 2001 so again um marvel's adaptation was while, while being the first true comic book adaptation the uh the 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 Howard Johnson's menus for, for their restaurant and hotel chain were the first time uh, that that this was uh, that this was was that that, that two thousand one was adapted in some manner in a comic book form. Uh, Kubrickonia, a, a, a website as you know based on all things Kubrick, calls the two thousand one Space Odyssey a bizarro uh, world heaven. The adaptation written and penciled by Jack Kirby, uh, two times larger than a regular comic book format, suited Kirby's outlandish pop style. Uh, but this was a great talent going through the motion, they say. Um, <clears throat> it is one of the strangest sci-fi franchise comics ever published. 
a stuffy marriage, they say, between Kirby's bombastic action-oriented in-your-face style. Now, each of those bombastic, in quotes, action-oriented, in quotes, in-your-face art style uh, juxtaposed to the style of Kubrick's film, which was all about things being subtle. No one has ever accused Jack Kirby of being subtle, and his lack of subtlety is part of his charm, but it is not a charm that they find fitting 2001. So just so you know, not everybody is as big a fan of this. So we're, we're just giving you um, some of the ways that this was um, viewed. That That is one critical element from uh, that, that, I, that I figured you guys would get a kick um, hearing as well as the Howard Johnson 2001 Space Odyssey comic book that predated this by the full, you know, eight years, actually produced in 1968. So those are a couple of quick addendums that I thought I would throw down that I, I figured you guys would love. So there you have it. Two giant creative titans and 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 their their paths crossed uh you know not not literally i I think if there was a picture of stanley kubrick and jack kirby together my 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 brain would melt and like i said i i even read something like where 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 maybe one of his kids are like i'm not sure my dad saw this i'm telling you i i'm i'm pretty sure that 2001 a space odyssey uh, crossed into stanley kubrick's orbit at some point in time okay uh just uh, literally, I, I could keep talking on this because it, it's just so exciting. And really, the reason I brought it to bear again was I, I, you can see the seeds of so many creative places that Jack went later, all because he gave himself over to adapting this incredible work by Stanley Kubrick. Okay, <clears throat> the Kubrick Odyssey, I cannot recommend it more highly. You probably have to pay for it. It's not a free download. It's not something you're going to grab. Uh, but once you watch it, you're going to get you're going to get taken in. I'm going to consider an all Kubrick conspiratorial episode. I know many of you uh, feel the same way about me. You, you, you're you're really interested in all this stuff. And uh, that look, every Mef movie he's done, 2001, the obviously The Shining. Um, you know, there's this whole 217, 237, the whole room. I mean, the rockets on the floor, and and <clears throat> and just the uh, you know all. Uh, I mean, just, just referencing the Apollo 11 and I mean, just it's, it's crazy stuff, man. It is crazy stuff. All of these, um, Kubrick conspiracy stuff, but really the, uh, I cannot, as I, as I wrap this up, I cannot recommend more highly just for entertainment value and, and look, entertainment is everything. And, and trust me, it will give you, it will give you so much to talk about Kubrick's odyssey. Um, I get it with my Gaia subscription. Okay. And I've got it literally as, as, as I turn this off, I'm going to go watch it again while I draw this afternoon. Okay. So, uh, Kubrick's Odyssey is going to blow your mind, but all things Kubrick, all things uh, Kirby, Kubrick and the King, Stan and Jack. We had to do this today. Uh, thank you always so much for listening, for supporting the show. Uh, I, I am just humbled and amazed by how much you guys uh, have come out in support of 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 this show and have lended your enthusiasm and you guys have uh um just shared so much so much of the enthusiasm and 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 uh, a, a funny a funny uh you know i i i read i read your i i read your uh reviews that you you leave at the at the end of every episode and i'm so grateful that you guys you know pull up the keyboards and send those reviews in. They really do. I've been saying this for three years. They help separate us on the platform. We are so grateful. We are so thankful that you have um, held us in such high regard. Um, our ratings are great. It helps us. It helps grow us. It helps lift us, lift us up. So I thank you. When you re- leave these reviews, 
I read them at the end of the show, which as, as I'm going to do right now, this is from the Rob father. Uh, he says, I like Rob's podcast. Rob always brings interesting stories, comic historical documents, and his opinions to the show. The podcast is never not entertaining. Um, I really appreciate that. I really, really appreciate that. He gives us five stars and I just appreciate, um, Rob father going out of his way to post that on the Apple, uh, account and, and whatever you send me, whether it's a DM or whatever, I try and also use those on the show as well. So it doesn't always have to be on Apple. Um, you guys will send me DMs. You'll put it in my Facebook group, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And I just, I'm so thankful to you for the generosity you've shared and, and promoting the show. And look, you know, I was on, um, let me, let me give another great, uh, podcast word balloon, uh, John Centrunas, uh, just what a great guy. I, I, I love him so much. I've talked to him so many different years. I didn't really want to have a discussion with him until I had work out again. Um, because, because I, I felt like, you know, until I have a comic out again, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's going to serve no purpose. I want to talk about work. I want to talk about the process of working and getting work out. So I was talking to him the other night. And again, if you guys can support, uh, people like John who've been doing it for so long, but one of the things that we discussed is bringing the receipts. It matters. Bring those interviews, those dates. Don't bring me your opinions about history. I'm not interested in that. So many people, like one guy tried to tell me that, you know, Wolverine was the second most bankable uh, merchandisable character for Marvel Comics. That is simply not true. I have the facts, the figures, I have the sales. I can tell you, um, he does not rank uh, above Hulk, okay? And and for the last seven years, it's Spider-Man and Deadpool knocking it out, you know, battling back. But the guy wanted to, he wanted to bring forth his opinion, what he believed was true. What, what, and we've discussed this before. Most importantly, what he wanted it to be true. And so often I encounter people who want things to be true and they're just not true. And there's a lot of people, I'm going to tell you, I, I, I've said this before. There are people who have who are claiming to be historians who did not live through the comics. They are welcome to tell you their opinions. That does not mean they are even remotely hitting on the facts. The, where you're going to get your best information is always the sources, the people who've done it, the words they've said with their own mouth, um, the interviews they've given, the comments, the quotes. The, 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 again, the stuff that carries facts, figures, dates, data, that matters. And that's what we discuss in the show. And I'm so thankful that so many of you have appreciated the fact that as a hoarder, I have never thrown away all these crazy magazines. I, I really regretted, to be honest, doing the interview, the, the, the show a couple shows back where I did the market reports, because I can't imagine like how boring that must have been. And I almost pulled it. I almost said that was a mistake. I shouldn't have read those market reviews. And your response to it was phenomenal. I, I, I sometimes I'm not aware of truly what you guys dig and what, and what you don't dig. So, so I'm, I'm clearly not um, the best barometer for what people like and what people don't like. <laughs> and even some of my best well-meaning shows, I'm looking at you, women of comics, um, which you as the audience said, eh, I'll pass. Um, <laughs> I don't regret doing it. I love doing it. I love that it's in my library. I love that it's there. Um, I, I thought more people would be receptive to it. And I'm trying to hold back the laughter because, um, those, those numbers, woo, uh, boy, that, that was interesting. So I don't know what people like or what they don't like, but I try and bring a historical perspective, accuracy, and especially anything that's happened over the last 37 years in my career and people who I've interacted with. And as a publisher and a writer and an artist, I have interacted with so very many. And I'm so thankful to all of you for just interacting and enjoying the show. So, hey, I'm going to give you fair warning. There's probably 
one or two shows left max before I go on vacation and I take my summer hiatus. So I, I mentioned it at the top of the show, I'm going to mention it again. We're going to go into a, a dark period where I'm not, I'm not recording that, ref, that, that just the show will go dark. The lights will go off and we'll, we'll turn them on back um, in July sometime. But uh, most, most of the middle of June through July, I'm going to be gone and I will not, I do not anticipate doing a podcast but uh, maybe, maybe we'll, you know, maybe, maybe something will happen and, and we'll get, and we'll give it a shot. Um, I, I will most certainly let you know the, uh, but, but I wanted to know you, you know, in advance uh, that, that I'll be, that, that, that we'll, we'll be having a, a bit of a hiatus, maybe one more show after this. I don't know. And, and guys, and don't, um, don't hold it against me. I may go to one show a week. I'm, I'm, I'm debating going to one show. We've been doing two a week, pretty, pretty religiously here. So I'll let you know. I'll keep you informed. Thank you as the audience. I take you uh, and, and your, your, um, your, your commitment to the show. I take it very seriously. Uh, I appreciate you listeners. That's why I'm trying to keep you in the loop. Uh, on social media, please reach out. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Life. I get the word out. I get, I, get, I get so much of my information out on Twitter. I am at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. That's me. That's who you're going to see. And uh, I, I don't have the blue check. That stuff all evaporated and, and I don't pay for a, a check. And, and so that's, you just got to find me. It used to be a way to just, you know, uh, what do you call it? Um, you know, verify that you're really talking to me, but I think time is, you know, it's, it's, it's long past. Hopefully you know uh, that you're talking to the real Rob Liefeld at Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I love your messages, your DMs, your mentions. Thank you for all the interaction you give to me on Twitter. I look forward to seeing you over there at Robert Liefeld on Instagram. That's my visual component. My, uh, I'll put up the food I'm eating, the people I'm hanging with, the drawings, the comics, all of it. That's obviously a bigger visual component. I love Instagram. I love the positive vibes over there. I'm just at Rob Liefeld there. I do have a blue check. It tells you that you are really following me. I love your messages, uh, all of your communications, your comments, your DMs. Thank you. I try and catch up with all of you as much as I possibly can. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, as I've said, I haven't said it in a while, but I need to return to it. As The, 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 the account my kids think is so cringy. Dad, you're so cringe with your Instagram. <laughs> so follow me at Rob Liefeld um, and, 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 and see the, the, the stuff that I'm doing and sharing over there. And on Facebook, we have a group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Either myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala will click you through once you submit. Please um, come join us. We have so so many of the conversations that we have here and we start here. We continue. I've gotten to know so many of, so many of you so much better. Um, I love, I love when you share and we, uh, we, 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 we go back and forth and, and, uh, there's art contests, people share their comics, their favorite stuff. And, and we just have a good time. And, and again, so many of the topics that are, that are covered here, we carry into there with a thread and have some discussion. So join us, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond, uh, love to see you over there. And, and that's, that's our Facebook group. I am on an app called whatnot. The whatnot app is the, um, biggest collectible app going uh, with all manner of, of uh, trading cards, playing games, playing card games, uh, uh, comic books, Funko Pops, toys, original art. I, I, I feature in the comics and toys and Funkos and original art section. But man, if you want sports gear, I mean, they've got watches, they're getting into apparel. Whatnot is a killer place to be. Find me, follow me, Rob Liefeld on Whatnot, and you'll be notified when I go live. I go on my live streams. And during my live streams, I am sharing with you guys uh, the, 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 the different 
um, comics that I'm that, that that I have. I'm sharing uh, custom remarks, custom autographs. Find out what a drop shadow life held chisel is, what a blood splatter life held chisel is. I'd love to share those with you. Uh, I am talking into the camera the entire time, two three hours. Uh, it is it is kind of a grumpy later at night extension of this show. I'm not as nice. It's not as early. It's late. It's about time for my bedtime, but that's the only time I can make time for it. But right now we have the most killer, killer Deadpool batter blood exclusives. They're not on my website. They're not on for sale on a Facebook group. You can only get my Deadpool batter blood. There's three Deadpools and there's three X-Force. Retailer Nomas by Stash Loot brought three of the Wolverine variants and whatnot themselves doubled down and did a Deadpool dedicated Deadpool batter blood number one variant. So here's the deal. Before I came on the air today, I told you I got the notice from Marvel. We sold out. It's gone. They're going back to second prints. The Deadpool uh, batter blend number ones that are out there right now are the first prints and they're disappearing. They're, 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 they're gone. So many people last night call uh, on the live stream during the whatnot said my four stores in Florida sold out. My store in Tallahassee sold out. My store in Kentucky, my store in Montana, my store in Arizona. People are out of this book and this variant, the only way you can get it is on line through my live streams. I only sell signed or custom remark copies, custom uh, signatures. So please hook up. This is where we you go to get the cool stuff. I have a whatnot dedicated Spider-Man uh, variant. I have a Deadpool New Mutants 98 facsimile variant. I have a Brigade variant. We have Profit. If you like my Extreme Studios, my Image Comics work. So check out whatnot. Follow Rob Liefeld. You'll be notified when I go live and I cannot wait to interact with you. So follow me over there. So we've covered Twitter, at Robert Liefeld, Instagram, Rob Liefeld, uh, Facebook, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond, and whatnot. Follow me as, at Rob Liefeld. That pretty much covers the social media aspects of my world. I didn't know if you know, but right now, CGC, and this is what you can do with those Deadpool batter bloods, and trust me, those are going to be probably the least comics that I see at that signing because they're coming out right now. Some people have already submitted what they're going to have for me to sign. CGC, go to their website. They are the preeminent comics grader. And I am doing my first ever private in-house signing with them late this summer, later this summer. In August, I'll be flying there. They're accepting books through July. Go on the website, look at the menu. All of the, unfortunately, the specialty items are sold out. We, we cleaned out of those in 24 hours. But the standard signature with a Liefeld label, there's a custom label that they made for this. I'm so grateful. Uh, and you can get your Deadpool Batter Bloods or some of the homage variants that I'm, I, I have coming out where Marvel said, hey, pick five comics that you want to homage. And I did two Frank Millers, a Jack Kirby. I did a Mike Zek. Um, I have just had the best time at Jim Steranko. Send those in. Send your New Mutants 98. Send your key books. The key master is waiting. The locksmith because, because I got so many keys. Okay. You got to send them in to CGC and, and get them to my private in-house signing. I cannot wait to see what you send me. So go to their website, look up the Rob Liefeld private signing on the, on the menu, Google uh, on their search or not put in their search, Rob Liefeld, you'll get the signing info, uh, get your books in, please. It's going to be a once in a lifetime event. I have never done uh, some of the, your favorite creators are on their third or fourth. Uh, I read the announcements all the time. Their third, their fourth, they're returning. This is my first ever. I've never done one, a dedicated CGC signing. I cannot wait to see what you send me. Thank you all so much. We got a couple more shows before we go um, put a wrap on this season and start a new one later this summer. Thank you for hanging with me as always. You guys know that your mental health, emotional health, physical health, and spiritual health is of the utmost importance to me. I want you to be happy and to be content. And it's hard in this world, which is always selling us a bill of goods about something else is going to do that for us. But you know that experience with friends 
good times with friends or good times with art. What did we all escape into in the pandemic? We listened to music. We read books. We read comics. We watched shows. We let art distract us from the pain that we were experiencing. Well, every day in, in, in life, the grind can really get to us. And, and I, I'm just always telling you, I encourage you right now, sometime in the next couple of days, get away, read a graphic novel, watch a great show, hang out with your friends. And you know me, I'm going to introduce all sorts of, 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 uh, of food, maybe Italian food or Mexican food is your thing. Maybe desserts. Uh, I, I, I'm in a, I, I have to stay away from this new ice cream place that, that opened down, down the street from us called Handles, which was up in LA and there's one at the beach, but the ice cream is, oh, just incredible. The lines are so long, um, but it's worth it. Uh, I, I, <laughs> Uh, their, 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 uh, horchata cinnamon ice cream. Oh my gosh. I can't have enough. Will it replace the Reese's big cup? No. Will I always promote the Reese's big cup, even though they're not paying me. Yes, I certainly will. Okay. Uh, my commitment is never to clutter the show up with ads. I can't stand that. Um, I have turned down every ad program possible for this show. I don't want to do that. I'm giving this to you for free. It's not monetized. I so appreciate you guys. I appreciate the time that we hang out together. Be well get some rest. Please circle back around. I'll be here. I'll be waiting. We most certainly, absolutely, inevitably, we'll talk again real soon.